What's up, Bucks fans? Welcome back to another edition of the Pirate Parlay, brought to you by the Sick Podcast Network. We had another amazing interview this week with Buccaneers defensive back Christian Izian coming on, breaking down what it's been like for his rookie year so far, getting to know him a little bit more and, and getting some insights on his thoughts on the defense and how his season's been. It was a blast talking to him. We got plenty more players and coaches coming our way, but this week, you know what time it is. It's time to go behind enemy lines and get a little scouting report on our next opponent for the Buccaneers. We're going to bring him in here shortly. He's Will McBadden, writer for the Falcoholic and host of the Believe in Falcons podcast. Got to give it up to the Believe podcast guys coming in here and giving us insightful knowledge every week. With that being said, we'll be right back with him. Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. Pirate Parlay. Battle intercepted. Picked off in the end zone. Bucks are going to beat the Chiefs. We're the champions of the world. The sickest Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast. It's going to be sick. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Pirate Parlay here on the Sick Podcast Network. I teased them before the break. We're going to bring him in here. His name is Will McFadden. Again, writer for the Fuckaholic and also... Uh, podcast host and believe of Falcons. I think you're with, are you still with Avi there or? Yeah. Ovi. Uh, yeah. Ovi. Former Falcons uh, fullback and a fullback for the Baltimore Ravens. So yeah, yeah. That's, that's always fun to have that player's insight. Last week we had Glover Quinn, uh, who's part of the believe network for the lions. Uh, he came on and gave us that player insight, you know, as someone who's kind of in the podcast realm. So that was a lot of fun. Um, Speaking about a lot of fun so far, it's been up and down season for the Falcons. There's been some highs and highs and some lows and lows on that roller coaster ride. And sitting in that front seat is Desmond Ritter. Um, you know, he's had some good games, had some bad games. Last week would constitute as a bad game, three interceptions. <laughs> uh, what's what is the thought on Desmond Ritter? Um, not only just coming into this game, but the, at the season and, and as a potential long term answer. Uh, at quarterback for the Falcons. Well, I believe it was uh, Matt Ryan in a piece today with Jeff Schultz of The Athletic, who and he covered the game last week, um, the last Falcons game against the Commanders. And he he spoke with Jeff, uh, who's a longtime columnist here in Atlanta, and basically said he feels the next six games are going to decide Desmond Ritter's kind of future, his long-term future uh, here in Atlanta. And that makes a lot of sense. I, you know, it starts with obviously a big division road game and a big bounce back game uh, that the Falcons need to have. But likewise with Tampa Bay, which is, you know, spoiler alert, why I am so excited about this matchup. But if you look past the Bucks, there's really some winnable matchups for Atlanta. And if the Falcons can't get through that with Desmond Ritter, then you really have to start to wonder, all right, what conceivable future does he have with this organization that being said this past game was clearly a really bad game and, and maybe one of his worst uh as a pro however the last two games in totality he has shown you know a few significant strides as the uh quarterback of an offense that's able to move the ball through the air we've heard a lot about teams taking away the run game for atlanta and that's been true recently so the falcons have had to move the ball through the air it's part of their evolution or the evolution of their offense he's been able to do that in ways that we hadn't seen before so if they can clean up the turnovers 
maybe Desmond Ritter can kind of salvage this season and, and be part of the answer moving forward. But I, I think a lot of that, uh, you know, the first step of that at least will be determined on Sunday. But the next six games, I, I do agree with Matt, uh, are pretty crucial uh, towards determining that answer. Yeah, I mean, you're, we're looking at a loaded uh, quarterback class coming in here. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, you look at the numbers and it's not terrible. Obviously, the rushing game, we knew the rushing attack was going to be solid again. Um, you know, 10th in the league in yards per game there. But passing yards are right in the middle of the pack at 16, um, you know, putting up around 233 yards a game. Ritter's got 1,300 yards in the season, the six touchdowns, six interceptions. The ratio is much better uh, before last weekend's game um, against the Commanders. But, you know, I, I think when it comes to him, he's still young. I never saw him as like a top-tier ever echelon quarterback. I thought he'd be a good game manager, a guy who can win you some games, but a guy who's not going to – gonna you know he's gonna lose you some games but he's not gonna will a team to victory right he's mm-hmm. he's gonna if he wins the games as a product of the, of the team as a whole doing well he's not gonna be able to put a team on his back and you kind of brought in a guy like that too and tyler heineke um i see fans are already screaming for his name after last week's performance but you know three and three with a chance to potentially take the division um with a win against the buccaneers what what are the expectations coming into this game and what are the expectations coming to the season for Falcons fans? Was this, uh, you know, we, we all heard all season, this, this division is wide open. Um, what are the thoughts right now after six games and what were the thoughts coming into the season on what the Falcons could potentially do? Well, I I'll start with the season because that, that I kind of informs the, uh, thought process going into week seven, but to take you all the way back to 2021, when Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot were hired, Looking at the financial landscape at that time, it was pretty clear that the third year was going to be the year that things really were able to come together for Atlanta just because of the financial situation they were in. So the real challenge, yeah, yeah, Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, uh, they had just given out a lot of kind of big contracts to some of the guys. And and the Falcons really have cut bait. Most recently, Jalen Hawkins, who they waived this week, was a former, uh, you know, not a high, high draft pick, but, you know, mid round draft pick for the Falcons who had been a starter and they have moved on from players like him, Michael Walker, you know, Deion Jones in the past, Calvin Ridley was a unique situation, but he was at one point, you know, expected to be the next in that lineage of Roddy white and then to Julio Jones and then to Calvin Ridley for a decade. Like it's just a totally different team. And I com- I commend the staff and I commend Arthur Smith for two seven and ten finishes with totally different teams, totally different offenses, and you know, not a lot of talent on those rosters. But that's why a lot of people penciled this year as kind of the year. All right, you get this a big windfall of money to spend in free agency. They chose to spend a lot of that on the defense. We've seen the impact of that decision. The defense has been really good for Atlanta so far this year, but that is also comes with a lot of the expectations, right? Uh, certainly when you accompany that with three top 10 draft picks that you used on the offense. So the expectation coming into this season was, yeah, compete for the division, but bottom line, you know, you got to make the playoffs. And I think a lot of people, my co-host, Ovi Mahaley included, want a playoff plus a win, right? They want the playoff plus package. And that's why going into this weekend, after a, a loss that truly was the first loss in a while 
that felt like you snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. Because even though the Falcons were playing catch up all throughout that game, they were the better team in the second half. And they had multiple chances late there to significantly eat into the deficit, if not outright overtake the commanders. So a lot of people this week are kind of, all right, you're three and three. Are things really going to be different than they've been the last two years? This was supposed to be the year. What's up with Arthur Smith? What's up with Desmond Ritter? Why is he our court? It's a lot of, the sky right. may not be quite falling, but like people are looking up and there's cracks in the uh, in the clouds. That's kind of the mindset right here ar- around Atlanta. Right is now. Do you think that's fair with having Ritter at the cor- at the quarterback home? I mean, I, I the defense has been good, and and we'll get into those uh, those numbers here in a little bit. Um, but and that's where they did spend a lot of that money that finally freed up. But this is a quarterback league, and going in with a guy who. Played well towards the end of the last season, but still, there's a lot of polish left to be on, you know, worked out on his game. Do you think it's a fair ask for the Falcons to win and one, or do you think that's kind of like the ceiling, ceiling, ceiling? What would you put their floor as, you know, um, after watching, you know, Saints aren't doing doing too hot right now. We knew the Panthers. <laughs> Anyone who was really watching the NFC South knew the Panthers are still a couple years away uh, mm-hmm. from even being competitive. But it was kind of a three-team race last year. The Falcons, you know, they were right in the thick of things towards the end of the season, 7-10 and 10 record. Um, you know, the Bucks only had one more game over them, um, yeah. and they beat the Bucks to give them that, that losing record. <laughs> but um, do you think – what is their ceiling um, realistically, and do you think it's a fair – fair ask for them to to not only win the division but and win a playoff game in that wild card round. Yeah, coming into the season and just looking at the schedule, I I initially I think had them at like 12 and 5, um 11 and 6, somewhere around there. And a lot of that did have to do with the easy schedule on paper which is still kind of turning out to be a pretty easy schedule. Like they've got Arizona, they've already played <laughs> Carolina, you know, they like they play Indianapolis who now won't have Anthony Richardson like so Things aren't absolutely brutal for Atlanta. Tampa Bay is is shaping up to be one of the tougher games on the schedule. So uh, from that standpoint, you know, like I, I do think that you can go on to have a successful season. But your question uh, about Desmond Ritter, and I, it's something I asked uh, Josh Kendall, who covers the Falcons for The Athletic on uh, my podcast, Own Up Today. And his answer was kind of, look, the, the Falcons knew what the importance of year three Right. Like they were the ones, Arthur Smith, Terry Fondo, Arthur Blank as well have said, yeah, like year three is when the expectations rise a little bit. They're the ones that chose to go into the season with Desmond Ritter. Now, right. they, they did pay money to bring Taylor Heineke in here. And I, I think that he is the, if, you know, break glass in case of emergency plan. I just am curious to see how long that rope is, how long that leash is. But it's still early. And I know fans hate to hear that when you are like three and three. And then what if you're four and four and all that? But you can kind of find your momentum. And when you do, I I think that things can get on a roll pretty quickly. And certainly when you look at a team like Atlanta, their defense, again, is is kind of no joke playing really well. They have kept them in every single game against some pretty good offenses. And they have done it in a lot of different ways, whether it be interceptions like in week one last week it was sacks that really kind of kept the Falcons in that game and that was great to see but they also were just one of the best third down defenses in the NFL <laughs> and and that's gonna 
help you stay in a lot of games if you can get the other team off the field. So that's why I am confident if the offense does figure this out and they have moved the ball really well the last two weeks without a lot of contribution from the run game. And I think that's by design. I think they need to back teams off of the box a little bit. They need to, a lot of teams are saying, okay, we need you to show us that you can actually beat us throwing the ball or else we're just not going to take you seriously. And we're going to line up everybody in the box. So they're doing a good enough job at, at moving the ball through the air that I think you'll start to see a little bit more balance. And then Atlanta will probably get their run game going and that'll help Desmond Ritter as well, just as maybe he's gaining the right amount of confidence. So it's early. I know that's a long answer, um, but I, I do think they can still salvage this season if they start to find their stride offensively. You're talking about, you know, of course, once teams know, and, and it really didn't matter last year because they still, teams knew what was coming with the, with the two-headed attack with, with Allegier leading the way last year, and they were still able to, to kind of impose their will upon teams running the ball. But through the mm-hmm. air, um, Drake London is really the guy. Uh, he's about it. For whatever reason, they've started to get him into a rhythm a little bit more. Kyle Pitts, they just haven't been using him the way I think he needs to be utilized, and especially since his rookie year. But um, outside of Drake London, you know, if you can take him away, how much pressure does that put on Desmond Ritter? We've seen Jonu Smith kind of have a little bit of resurgence um, down there, but outside of him, I mean, the next the next receiver. Uh, that's even ha- has double digits is Matt Collins with 12. Um, after that, you're looking at a bunch of guys who haven't even cracked five receptions with tight ends and Bijan Robinson pretty much outside of Drake London. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you've got two, in my mind, kind of two different types of, of offenses right now, at least passing offenses. And one is is one that both Bucks and Falcons fans should be very familiar with. And that's kind of the Dirk Cutter offense, right? And when I worked for the Falcons, I, he was covering Dirk Cutter in his second stint there. And really, that's going to use that's going to feature like two wide receivers and, and a tight end. And those guys are going to get 78% of your target share because they're your best players and you're just going to get them the ball. Then you have a little bit more of of kind of the Kyle Shanahan and the Arthur Smith where they can create targets for players that you would never expect to get the ball. And that's kind of part of the the design, right? It's your Levine Toilolos or your Michael Pruitts. And that is where even if you take a Drake London away, yeah, they he could still easily just turn to Kyle Pitts or Johnu Smith, who, you know, is basically just as good as Kyle Pitts this season. Um, or they've yet to really get Cordero Patterson involved. Bajan is is still a prominent, prominent um, feature in the passing game. So there are some main options to go to, but I think the Falcons would be just as comfortable throwing the ball to uh, Cordero Hodge, who is a player who's been here a couple of years, who really kind of operates in that like fifth receiver, fourth receiver role, but they do trust him. Matt Collins when he's been called upon has performed really well. They just kind of don't throw him the ball a lot because they don't really throw any one person the ball a lot. And that's been a complaint for not only the Falcons community, but the fantasy football community writ large is, you know, give your good players the ball. And they're starting to do that a little bit more Drake London being the main recipient of that. But even if you took him away and I'm the matchup between the secondary for Tampa uh, and and Atlanta's receivers, you know, obviously the size 
you give Atlanta against pretty much any team, but the physicality that Tampa plays with, I'm really, really curious to see that matchup. Really curious to see, um, you know, Antoine Winfield and just kind of how he moves around. I know he's been so good at at blitzing this season. So I think that's going to be a little bit of an X factor, but even success against Drake London, I, I think the Falcons will find some creative ways to, to move the football through the air if they have to. You talk about Drake London. He's notoriously kind of been moved all over the inside, outside, mm-hmm. even with that 6-5 frame. Where has he been playing mostly this year? Has he been mostly playing outside? Have they been kind of splitting that evenly? As you look at if, he, if he's outside and he's on Carlton Davis's side, that's going to be a matchup to really watch with the physicality, as you're saying. But if he moves under the inside, it's a really interesting matchup because Bucks. I uh, just had him on the podcast this week, but Bucks undrafted free agent Christian Izian is their main slot guy. Mm. He's five eight, so there's a quite a height <laughs> difference there between the two. Um, but he's again, he's another really physical guy. Plays in the mold of Antoine Winfield Jr. I would I don't want to say he's a clone, but they're pretty similar in playing style. They had the same coach in college, and he's modeled his game after him. And lo and behold. He's playing with him now. <laughs> this is there you go. So um, where has Drake London like lined up primarily this season? Has it been a more of a split? What What's what's that been like? I mean, it's honestly, it's been everywhere. And again, that's part of kind of the Falcons design. You, you say there's five, eight slot corner. I think there's going to be a pretty heavy dose of Drake London, of Kyle Pitts, of Mac Hollins, like literally any of the Falcons receivers, they can play inside. But part of the reason they're here in Atlanta is, is because they can also play close to the line of scrimmage and tight and kind of right off tackle and get those leverage blocks that make some of these outside uh, stretch zone run plays really effective for the Falcons because they almost like to replace these blockers. So they'll have their tight end or a wide receiver get that leverage block on the end and then they'll kick out maybe their guard, Chris Lindstrom or Kayla McGarry and almost get them in space and switch. But it's because of the leverage that the wide receiver who is, you know, given up 150 pounds, 110 pounds on a, a defensive end or something, they are able to sustain that block a little bit longer because of that leverage. So there are a lot of creative ways that they use all their players and all their weapons, which is why the Falcons have that inside outside versatility with their receivers. It's mostly for the run game, but then you get that added benefit of being able to find matchups all across the field. And if they need to, they're very comfortable lining Drake London out by the numbers and say, Hey, jump balls to the boundary all day, dude. They're also very comfortable lining him, you know, just off of tackle kind of where you'd have a, a wing T tight end and, and having him run a route from there. So they, they move their guys all around because they want to hunt those matchups and also because they want to disguise what they're trying to do. You talked about the run game a few times there. Let's bring it up. Let's finally get to it because that's what this Falcons (laughs) team is known for right it's that run game it was potent last year with a combination of tyler Algier, who i think it was what a fourth round pick or was he a fifth round pick tyler Algier, yeah uh, fifth round pick fifth round pick ran for over a thousand yards on the season that wasn't enough for the falcons they decided they needed more and they went out and got Bijan robinson uh this this offseason in the draft uh he's been electric so far just watching him i drafted him on my fantasy team so i know what he's doing week in and week out (laughs) There you um, go. He's he's been. I love what the Falcons are doing with their video clips with the eye in the sky things. Because like, oh yeah, yeah. He almost did like a, a basketball move on one defender with a ball behind his back, brought it back around. But he's been electric in the pass game and at, in in the run game, as we all expected and thought. 
how has he changed this this Falcons offense and how has he made that run uh run game even better than it was last year yeah it's uh you know how he changes the offense it's interesting because I don't know if he wholesale has transformed this offense um to me it's more like a, a basketball team where now you've got more of a go-to ball handler where now you've got somebody where you're comfortable with them having the ball in crunch time or maybe being able to create off the dribble where before you didn't really have that you were more uh handcuffed to the person distributing the ball or your scheme where with Bajan if it if it is like third and four and everything is covered downfield and you just need to get it to a guy to create a play before they didn't really have somebody like that. Now they do. And you are starting to see defenses get a little bit of a read on, on his go-to kind of inside juke dead leg move. So I'm curious if he develops a little bit of a change up to that, but by and large, even if he doesn't, yeah, what he does is still good enough to, uh, to beat most defenders any given day because it's it's just his vision, but combined with the way he gets in and out of cuts and kind of maintains his momentum and maintains his speed. It just feels like he's operating at a little bit of a faster, like he's like 1.25, 1.5 speed on a podcast, right? right? He's just a little bit faster than everybody else. Um, they are being pretty careful with his usage. So you're seeing Tyler Algier. Yeah, I would expect this to, again, be the case against Avita Vea and, you know, the big kind of, Bucks defensive line that they trot out there. Uh, Tyler Algier is probably going to be the the hammerhead who's getting the ball inside of these tackles. That's not to say they won't with Bajan. They're just a little bit more creative with how they do that. We've seen some reverse sweeps. We've seen just play designs that open up the space a little bit more because I think they're trying to be very cognizant of the number of just absolute contact shots that Bajan is going to take. So he gets a lot of the perimeter work. He gets a lot of the work in the passing game. Um, and I think they want to incorporate Cordero Patterson a little bit more to also take some more off of Bajan's plate. Yeah, he's he's yet so far. He yeah, he's yet to really kind of be incorporated back in the offense. We we've seen a little bit more each week, but frankly, not as much as I've been expecting to see each week. So it's hard to tell. But you know, again, he's he's past his 30s, right? So he is a little bit older. I think the Falcons maybe kind of, if they do have a playoff push in mind, are they kind of getting him slowly worked back into the season, saving his legs, letting him uh, do that and using kind of their younger guys early, expecting them to be able to go the distance. So it, it hasn't been the full three headed monster that Falcons fans expected coming into the season. Right. We've seen Bajan. He looks great. No complaints whatsoever from Falcons fans with how he's played. Tyler Algier is, is kind of starting to get back into form, but again, with defenses loading the box as much as they have, it is just tough sledding. And then the final piece is Cordero Patterson, who started the year injured and just really hasn't gotten back to right. his full uh, allotment of snaps yet. I feel like Algier too is a guy who who needs to be fed to really, you know, kind of. He's he, a little bit of yeah, get him in that lather, well, like kind of get right, him going. Right. Yeah, yeah. Bijan is just he's so entertaining to watch because. Like you said, he's so fluid. I would not be surprised if we find out at some point he's taking like ballet lessons or something <laughs> like that because his movements are just, yeah. it's so fluid to one way or another way. Um, and it is just so much fun and entertaining to watch. 
Um, so, you know, but enough about the offense. Now we've talked about it for majority of this podcast. The defense is what really was revamped, including the defensive coordinator with Nielsen coming over from this, the New Orleans saints, bringing some mm-hmm. of his guys over. David on Yamato was one of the big signings. Uh, Clay Campbell was another one of the big signings, but probably the biggest one was Jesse Bates, um, in the secondary back there already has three interceptions counts for all the interceptions the Falcons have so far this season, but he's truly a game wrecker. Um, he's got great anticipation and speed to break on the ball, uh, comes down with them, uh, as you, as we've seen so far this season, and he's kind of risen to play of everybody else in that secondary. You look at the defense right now. Um, it wasn't too great last year, <laughs> uh, but this year <laughs> no. so far, they're 14th in points per game, only allowing 20, uh, total yards per game. They're only allowing, uh, 278, which is good for fourth. Uh, they're doing a lot of that by protecting against the, the pass, uh, they're fourth in the league against uh, passing yards against with only allowing 179 and then rushing. They're right there, right outside the top 10, only allowing uh, just under 100 yards, 99. So uh, at 11th right there. The one spot where this team has not shown improvement from last year is getting after the quarterback. They got solid pressure on them, but they're 28th in the league right now with only 10 sacks on the season. They still cannot get after the quarterback and bring him down, uh, even after bringing a guy like Bud Dupree in too and spending you know uh, resources there last year with Arnold at, at Piketty. Um, uh, that's been an issue for them. But let's talk about the the game plan this offseason, bringing those guys in, bringing a new defensive coordinator in. And so far, the, um, the rewards that they've reaped from, from making those changes. Yeah, I think with it starts with Ryan Nielsen, right? And a lot of that is versatility that the Falcons want to be able to have on defense. They want a multiple defense who that is able to kind of week in and week out, have the resources and the knowledge to match what their opponents are, are going to want to do. But we have also seen a pretty big shift away from the zone coverage that Dan Quinn liked to run here in Atlanta to you know, those pretty tight press man that the Saints for for a long time have run. And, you know, the Marshawn Lattimore runs pretty well. Uh, so that is where you're going to see Jeff Okuda, AJ Terrell, like they're going to be walked up close to the line of scrimmage. You're going to see the safeties move around a lot. They do a lot of pre-snap looks, post-snap changes. Uh, and that is, again, part of their versatile design. Um, one of the things that Ryan Nielsen said when he came here to Atlanta that really stuck out to me in his intro press conference was, this kind of idea that Arthur Smith has where in you know today's league that's that's very pass happy is is kind of he wants a defense capable of scheming to stop the pass and then having the athletes on hand to defend against the run. So basically we're going to try to ma- design our defense to first and foremost defend against the pass which would put your run game at a little bit of a disadvantage but they feel like they can kind of make up for that with boots on the ground and just hey, if our guys are just better than your 11 guys and we got dogs, then we trust them to rally and make these tackles and kind of fight off blocks. And you kind of can't argue with the production so far. As you said, the the fourth best pass defense in terms of, of yards allowed per game. I never thought that that was going to be the case coming into this season. And again, that may change. It's still very early, but you you can't argue with the level of play either. Like that backs it up. And when you're seeing... AJ Terrell hasn't even really gotten off to the same level of start that he did two years ago when he was playing like an all pro. I know he wasn't, but he played it at that level. Yeah. And 
Yeah, yeah, I know. It's, it's but all, <laughs> you want that first team. Um, right. And so Jeff Okuda, though, looks like the the number three overall pick that everybody expected him to be. So he has been a great surprise. So it's not just Jesse Bates, but his influence, Jerry Gray, who is the assistant head coach um, in charge of the defense, but a longtime um, defensive coach in this league and does great work with the secondary. He is a big part of this as well. Um, you did mention the the pass rush and the Falcons did have five sacks last week. So they matched their season total, but Washington, I think going into that game was the second worst uh, offense in terms of sacks per pass attempt. And I think now they're dead last after that game. So that tells you a little bit about the opponent. Um, but I liked the, you added the, you know, and getting them down because all season long, the Falcons have been getting pressure uh, against opposing offenses at a really high rate. In fact, they're third in the NFL behind the uh, Chiefs and Bills in uh, in pressure rate. So that's kind of been an interesting little formula that they haven't quite figured out yet. They're getting very close, and I think that also is impacting the secondary. So I, I think those two are tied together, where you are maybe not getting the sacks, but you're getting pressure, you're moving quarterbacks around, and then you've got some pretty tight coverage on the back end. That leads to a lot of these three and outs. That leads to sustainable defense kind of over the course of a game because they are playing pretty interconnectedly. So a lot of that does have to do with the newcomers. David Onyemata is playing really well. Clay Campbell just got his 100th career sack. I mentioned Jeff Okuda, Jesse Bates. Caden Ellis is another player kind of right in the middle there. And with Nate Landman, who uh, is an undrafted guy and, and kind of a fun story filling in for Troy Anderson. So there's not a lot of superstars on this defense. They're just playing really sound football, kind of like what we've seen in New Orleans for the better part of this last decade. Yeah, they have the household nicknames. They've got the Cam Jordans. They've got the uh, Marshans. But the Falcons, similar style uh, out there as well. You mentioned Caden Ellison. He, he's one of the guys, I think, with Jesse Bates as well, who uh, they're not household names. You know, people don't know. Not that many defense players are, unless you're like a TJ Watt or Jalen Ramsey or one of these guys. But those guys, you know, both in the top three of tackles for this team and, and they're underrated guys. And you've got a lot of a lot of those players on that Falcons defense. And, you know, you brought up A.J. Terrell, too. Um, and and you know, last year, not the best of year for him. Um, you go back two years ago, as you mentioned, second team all pro first Pro Bowl. Um, what has his play been like? And how has the arrival of someone like Jeff Okuda, who's looking like the guy that many thought he would be when they drafted him, and the addition of Jesse Bates back there um, to allow teams to kind of not so much um, focus solely on, on him, you know, because he's been that guy that hasn't has had a Midge Mod, Mosh Pasha guys across for him in the last few years. Yeah, I, I mean, A.J. Terrell, it's interesting. It almost feels as though the when the teams do target him, they've got very specific plays in mind because he's been a little bit susceptible to not like big plays, but again, it just feels as though he'll have a couple of pass breakups or tight coverage, tight coverage, and then, oh, they got him for a 14-yard first down and, and kind of the guy was wide open. So it, again, it, it almost feels as though the plays where it's through the natural progression of the play, he's he's locked on, he's on it, he's shutting down the flat, he's passing off guys in coverage, he looks smooth, he looks confident. He's always been pretty good in run defense. He is again this year. 
but there have been just a handful of plays each game where it it does look a little bit more like last year. And you're like, okay, well, you were in position there, but you didn't make the play. Or sometimes, okay, that that guy had a couple of steps on you. What went wrong there? But by and large, I have I, not many complaints about AJ Terrell's play so far this season. He looks much closer to uh, that 2021 form than what we saw last year. I do think that I'm curious to see how the balance between targets starts to change because teams have poked and prodded Jeff Okuda a little bit more in recent weeks. Mm-hmm. And he has played, I think his two best games. Like I didn't watch him that closely in Detroit, but it feels safe to say kind of like of his career. Like he has been just really right. locked in the last couple of weeks. And that's where I think teams have just not really chosen to throw AJ Terrell's way. They've looked at Jeff Okuda a little bit more, but because he's performing, because he's stepping up, and you also have a guy like D. Alford, who is a former uh, CFL player who the Falcons brought in last year. He did pretty well in a limited role, and now he emerged after a great training camp as the starting inside nickel, and he's given up some touchdowns against some tough matchups, but he's also hung in there against those same tough matchups and played pretty feisty defense. So again, as, as teams look for ways to kind of go away from AJ Terrell, they're, they're finding some tough room to operate. And that's part of the reason that the Falcons wanted to really upgrade that second corner spot, uh, look for a, a confident, really feisty and competitive nickel. Um, but then when you add a cerebral type of leader and veteran in Jesse Bates in the back end, I think he handles a lot of the communication. He allows those guys to play fast and and free and really helps them kind of throughout the week. But the seeing it all come together, seeing all of those pieces mesh is really fun. I mean, there, there have been some moments where in my opinion, they have gotten lucky and other teams have had opportunities that they've not fully taken advantage of. So that number, the fourth best, if teams were hitting everything and, and things were all falling their way, it's probably closer to like nine or 10, but even still like that's, that's a legit number. And the Falcons are putting themselves in positions to make plays and get lucky. Uh, and you really can't ask for more than that. So there's no complaints here uh, whatsoever about the play of the secondary. We can't go through this podcast without, you know, mentioning the man up front. Uh, you know, he's got a few running mates, like we mentioned, Calais Campbell and uh, Dave Donimata, but Grady Jarrett is yeah. still probably one of the most dominant defensive tackles in the league. His stretch over the over the last four or five years has been nothing short of dominant. Um, you know, with his his ability to just collapse the pocket as a pass rusher, but also hold stout against the run. Um, what has it been like? He's been the only guy there for a while, and he's been doing it all himself. There's been other guys they brought in. This were not at the same level as a guy like Clay's Campbell and David Onyemata. Bringing those two guys in, what have they done to allow Grady Jarrett to play um, better ball perhaps this year? Or has there been um, has it been a little bit more? Obviously, the numbers aren't there right away. Pressures are there, but the numbers aren't there. Um, what what has hit their impact been on, on Grady Jarrett uh, so far this season? And, and how has he looked compared to previous years? I mean, Grady, Grady kind of always looks the same, which is why everybody here loves Grady is even amongst bad defensive lines. It never really seems to drag him down. He's usually going to be somewhere between four and a half sacks on a bad year and like seven and a half sacks in a good year. But 
you kind of can plug them in and, and you're going to get production regardless. And that's a real testament to just the kind of worker he is, the type of attitude he brings week in and week out. Even when the games don't matter, he plays like they do. And I think that's why you saw really respected. I mean, there may not be a more respected uh, in terms of just the the veteran status, kind of the the old sage in the NFL among defensive linemen as Clayus Campbell. But David Onyemata comes in here with his former defensive line coach, who's now defense coordinator. And everybody says in training camp, this is Grady Jarrett's defense. You know, like this, we are looking at him first and foremost. And, and I think that's a, a great thing to see if you're Grady Jarrett, because it, I think validates, not that he needs validation. And I'm putting that word in his mouth, but it does kind of validate all right, everything that I've done here, you know, it, it is being noticed and and that everybody is appreciative of the uh, the work, even if the record hasn't reflected that in terms of how it's impacting him on the field. Again, I think that what you're seeing that's a little bit different from what the Falcons have done previously is more of these gains on the defensive line. You're seeing stunts, twists, uh, guys looping. And I think that's a little bit of a new factor for Grady. Grady has been really good as, as kind of a one-on-one, one-gap rusher. And so there's a, a little bit of a learning curve. But by and large, I, I think, and I talked to David Onyemata about this, uh, it's just the execution. They feel like they need to execute a little bit better because the pressure rate has been there. And so I think that's a big positive. You know, Grady's a great example of the pressure rate being there, the sacks kind of lagging behind. But even last week, there was a, a big moment on the broadcast. It was funny because Matt again, was calling the the game as the analyst and Grady had a false start penalty. And Matt was like, man, you know, he doesn't make many of those. That's going to eat at him. I wouldn't be shocked to be does something to redeem himself uh, on the next drive or whatever. And then the very next play, Grady gets the first sack of the game and kind of starts that five sack yeah. afternoon. And Matt was like, wow, didn't take long at all. I said the next <laughs> drive, it was the next play. And so that's kind of the attitude, the fire. He's not going to stay down for long. Um, you almost just wish that he had had somebody like a Clayus Campbell in the locker room from the start, because it's so impressive to see what he's done, but he never really did have that mentor, that kind of father figure, I think in the locker room. And that would have been a, a cool pairing, but it's great to see him get that finally here. So it, it really is a, a full team effort. I mean, Bud Dupree, Arnold Levicati, you mentioned Clayus Campbell, David Onyemata, Grady Jarrett. Those are the guys. Um, but every one of them has been productive in his own way, and it's been a nice group effort so far alongside of Grady Jarrett. All right, let's talk about this game a little bit more closely. Um, the Bucks on offense, when they're on offense, what, where is the weakness on this uh, Falcons defense that they should be attacking uh, to move the ball down the field? Yeah, I do think that you can have success uh, if you – do want to overload the box. And if you do want to get the run game going, I, I think Tampa's offensive line would be able to certainly move the, uh, the line of scrimmage a little bit. And it, it's just, I, I don't know if the bucks have kind of that power run game in them. I, I haven't seen that this, and that's where, because what the Falcons like to do is you'll see it for like when the, the ball snapped almost the line of scrimmage, it starts, the Falcons have kind of two levels, right? As most defenses do, you've got the guys with their hand in the dirt and then maybe the linebackers just behind them creeping up, filling those two a gaps or whatever, like Minnesota like to do forever. And then that all compresses either it, it expands and dudes drop and, and that's part of the disguising coverage or it compresses flat against the run. And you get kind of this brick wall or 
great wall effect. But if right. you can find that one gap and if somebody does get moved or what have you, the second level defender is five, six, seven yards down the field. And yeah, they're closing, but you get that crease of daylight. And that is, is an area where the Falcons, you, you know, when you look at the pass numbers and the run numbers, the run numbers are a little bit worse. It's because they have been hit for some of these big explosive runs. Usually they do a good job of stopping that before it becomes a 35, 40 yard run. Um, but I, I think that the bucks can, can move the ball on the ground if they are able to open up a little bit of a crease because that second level defense can at times be right there on the front. The other thing is I would just trust Mike Evans. <laughs> like this, this is of, of all the receivers, Mike Evans is the the guy that I think has given AJ Terrell the most trouble throughout his career. Uh, and, and I mean, Michael Thomas has as well. So it's these bigger body receivers who can move, but I think Mike Evans is a better receiver than Michael Thomas. Um, so I think that that is going to be a matchup where if I'm Baker and, and we are throwing the ball and it is, you know, close or whatever, I, even though it's AJ Terrell, uh, I'm looking at Mike Evans and I'm trusting that matchup. Bucks fans hate hearing both of those things because so far they haven't been able to run the ball well at all. Those explosive plays haven't been there. They've actually had to run more of that dual gap power type of type of running scheme because mm. they haven't been able to get that mid zone uh, outside wide zone uh, kind of offensive run game going yet. It hasn't been clicking for them. Uh, not everything is there. So they've had to fall back on what they know that they've ran last year with the duo gap and, and some power thrown in. So, um, <laughs> you know, between that and Mike Evans and the Baker connection has been off. <laughs> Um, yeah, there has been drops by Evans some bad throws by Baker. It's funny. I had the offensive coordinator, Dave Canales on, and he said, you know, um, one of the biggest things I took away from that interview is they didn't have the quarterback competition throughout the, throughout the summer um, until like the second to last week of, of when they named Baker, the starter. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, having that, it brings out the best. You have to see what you have in Kyle Trask. He was a second round pick. He could have been phenomenal, but the, the flip point is, now you're playing catch up with snaps because you split them for so long. So now, you know, they're he's trying to catch up and build, continue to build that chemistry and camaraderie in the season. And so far that's burned the bucks on you know, that Eagles game. And that lions game were more winnable than what the score shown. That lions game was brutal, man. I, and, yeah, and, I, I know it was, it got out of hand somewhat, but like that I mean, fourth quarter, like, those misses were bad. Right. And you go into halftime, they're down like 10 to three, you know, it's like, you're still in this game. It's not mm -hmm. like the game is over. Um, same thing with the Eagles game it was like 10 to three at halftime. Like they missed plays and then, you know, um, getting the defense, not being able to convert on third down defense gas, they're coming back out there and you're playing good offense. You can't do that. So <laughs> that's not something the Bucks fans want to hear. Um, the weakness for the Atlanta Falcons offense. Um, what's Todd Bowles? You think what in your mind do you think Todd Bowles is gonna do to exploit um that offense, specifically Desmond Ritter, to try to get them to make some mistakes? I think they're the common opponent that you all just played, that the Falcons played, neither had much success against. Um, I think the outcomes were pretty identical. The Lions had seven sacks against uh Atlanta and Granted, that was in Detroit, but this is in Tampa. So the Falcons on the road against these defenses, 
that what really stuck out to me against Detroit's defense is from the jump, they not only looked like they knew exactly what Atlanta was trying to do, but that they were just so determined to overwhelm any Falcon player in their path. Like they were the more physical team. They were taking it to them. They were tenacious. They were just playing with like a violence that I, you know, rarely do you see in the NFL one team clearly look more violent than the other. Like that's something you see uh, on Saturday when George is playing Vanderbilt. But I saw that in, in Detroit and I feel like Tampa Bay is, is capable of doing something similar defensively, you know, Todd Bowles and, and this kind of proud defense that heard all off season that Tampa was not going to be any good. And they're kind of like, all right, Hey, what about us? Right. We are still here. We were here before Tom, we're here after Tom and we can uh, have a say in how the season goes as well. And I think you're going to see some blitzes. I think you're going to see a loaded box because I think that Tampa feels that their secondary is capable of hanging with uh, with Atlanta's passing game, certainly if you're able to heat up Desmond Ritter. So again, I would look at the, the game plan set out by Detroit and they applied a lot of pressure on the Falcons and then they heavily attacked the short area of the field, which is kind of similar to what Washington did as well as they knew that the Falcons were going to try to get the ball out quickly. And you right. saw Desmond Ritter have yeah, those turnovers. Two of them were on passes kind of the flat or the short middle part of the field. So if the Bucks can play tight, they can play press and apply some pressure uh, on Desmond Ritter pretty quickly. If you can take away the run game, it becomes hard to see a, a path for to victory for Atlanta. And, and the biggest thing for the taking away that run game is obviously having Vita Vea healthy you look at the injury report today, Falcons are healthy. They got they have no one on the injury report yeah. this week. The Buccaneers, on the other hand, Anthony Nelson still battling through a concussion, was a full participant last week, full participant this week. We'll see if he's cleared going on to his second week. Really not sure when it developed because they had the bye week, so it could have been prior to that as well. Um, so, you know, he's a guy to look out for, but they have plenty of edge rush depth. The biggest thing is Vita Vea, limited practice with a foot last year, uh, last uh, yesterday, rather. Uh, today, he did not practice. Is it a rest day? We'll find out more, I'm sure, tomorrow when you know we talk to Coach Bowles um, and see if he's going to be able to go. But that would be a huge, huge loss in the ability for the Bucks to try to make this team one-dimensional. Um, because when Vito is healthy, this team has been one of the most dominant run defenses in the league. Um, when he hasn't, with that pet game against the, the Eagles, we saw what they're able to do. And this Falcons team is able to do something similar uh, to what the Eagles did with their run game. But that's going to be a huge, huge play on it. If indeed the Saints keep sucking like they are against the Jacksonville Jaguars right now um, on Thursday night football, this really could come down for a battle for first place um, between these two teams on Sunday, which will make for some excellent football um, on top of everything. And speaking of that, let's get to it. Final thoughts, final score prediction. What do you got? Yeah, I think that this is going to be a pretty tightly uh, contested match. I, I think that we've seen that from Tampa Bay. Yeah, I, I know that the season uh, finale last year, that was we can kind of throw that out the window because it was a weird, weird game for everybody. But the, uh, the first one down in Tampa, we all know how that ended. We don't have to, to rehash that, but that was a pretty tightly fought competitive game we you know even when these teams were bad back at the last part last decade early part of last decade 
they, it didn't matter. The, these games were always kind of 24, 27, um, 23, 25, like weird scores like that. And so I'm kind of going in that vein. I think Atlanta, I think they are going to be feeling the pressure. I do think that this year is the expectations are greater uh, than maybe Tampa, even though they may be the same. I think the pressure is probably a little bit more because Tampa had that recent success in Atlanta. This is the year three, all of that. So I expect a big week of practice from the Falcons. So I'm thinking, yeah, like 23, 19 um, Atlanta gets the win on the road uh, against Tampa. Yeah. Is that, is, is, are you going with Atlanta to save face? Or are you going to Atlanta? Cause you think that, of course I'm going like, I, yeah, not, of course I'm going with <laughs> well, Atlanta. Man, I picked against the Bucks against Detroit. And I, got I do think, it, I do think Atlanta needs to, I think they'll put together a good game, but I, again, like I had such a hard time picking Washington Atlanta because I was like, either of these teams, it's almost like they're the same team. They're capable right. of having a great game and, and looking awesome. And they're capable of totally imploding. And both teams did exactly that in the same game uh, at different points. So it, it's like, Right. Uh, this the Falcons can implode just as much as they can go off. It's been tough, like with the Bucks, because I feel like because the Eagles were just not playing Eagles football when they came in here week three, and that was a game I looked at and like that's a loss. Like, <laughs> yeah. but when you got to that game, I was like, well, I mean, the Bucks have been playing good throughout two weeks. The, you know, the Falcons. I mean, the Eagles have not been playing very well. This could be a game they could win, and up until after halftime. It very much so looked like that. And, you know, with uh, Vita Vea banged up and then, you know, Devin White banged up, having to run out of bounds instead of returning what he normally would, that interception as a pick six, brings that game a lot closer. And you're like, oh, okay, this is more of a game. And and then, you know, even against the Saints, it's like, okay, Saints, you know, they're in in New Orleans, though, and we both know how difficult that stadium is to play in. That's like an X factor in itself, but, you know, it's a close game. Every game that I've picked so far this season has been the Bucs in a close game, and they pretty much should have been that way or one, you know, even last week um, or potentially could have won. They've been evenly matched up, and I feel like this is another one of those games where, you know, I don't think the Bucs, you look at the Lions' loss, and you're like, oh, well, they showed us their colors. I don't think that's a thing at all. I just think there was poor execution. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think any of those things are inherent flaws that are going to be like, you look at the team like, well, that's going to ruin their season. No, I think all those things are coachable, correctable and teachable, you know, fixable. Um, but that being said too, the Falcons have played really well. It's not one of these, you look at, I, I have this as a win. I had it as a win going into the season. I just don't trust Ritter. That's my biggest thing. I like what yep. they did on defense. I know that running game is going to be strong. I don't like, not only that, I just don't like what Arthur Smith is doing with his passing game. I think he's wasting Kyle Pitts. Um, I think he's not <laughs> utilizing Drake London to his full abilities as well. Um, part of that is obviously the quarterback play. Um, but I think you've got two studs there that you're not using to the best of their ability. Uh, that's just my opinion as an outsider. A lot of people here would agree with you. Um, and I, I just I don't think they're there yet. I think they're probably – I don't want to say they're 2020. Uh, Bucks, you know, a quarterback away. I think they're a quarterback and probably a few pieces away, but they've got a really young, talented team with some good veterans on there that if you put a Kirk Cousins on there, I think they win this division handily. Um, I, I think if you're, you're kind of looking at that type scenario. Um, so if Kirk Cousins is a free agent next year, it's going to be interesting, but um, I still think they are there. They're on the cusp, and I think the Bucks have enough 
players who have been there, done that, um, and have just have more higher echelon talent um, on their roster than the Falcons. I mean, I, I got the I got the this thing won't stay up for the life of me. <laughs> I got the Falcons. I got the Falcons dropping this one um, in a in a close one because I don't think the Bucks have been able to pull away yet, and I don't know when their signature win is. I don't think it's this weekend. Um, they still have yet to have one. Um, and part of me also, part of me thinks that this is going to be a sloppy game that they'll just narrowly edge out because of the looming shadow that is the Buffalo Bills on Thursday night football. Mm. And I don't think they're going to overlook this opponent, but there is that sense of pressure that we need to win against the Falcons before we go play the bills up in Buffalo on Thursday night football in a short week, this is like a must win not a must must, but like a must win game for them. And that might be enough of a distraction to have them not focus fully. That should be a fun game no matter what. I hope so. Yeah, they, they usually are. And and even if, even if this is an ugly game, the ugly games between the bucks and the Falcons usually end up being pretty fun for one reason or another, even if it's not the score. Right. Especially when Jameis is around. <laughs> Especially when Jameis is around. <laughs> well, that's going to do it for us. We've been here for, for a minute, so we'll wrap it up here. Guys, you can catch Will at the Falcoholic. Uh, Falcoholic, he's a writer for there. You can also catch him at um, the Believe Podcast, Believe in Falcons. Anything else you got to promote? Anything you got to say before we wrap it up? Nah, that's it. Uh, thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Enjoy chopping it up. We'll get you back here. Maybe we can get Ovi with you too. You know, a little three man pod here. Uh, we'll get you back here. I think what is it? Week December tenth. I know is a date. I'm not sure what. It's uh, but, uh, uh 12, 17? It's one of one of those two. Something like that. But I'll be up in Atlanta, <laughs> so we'll have to link up link up as well. So. Oh yeah, uh, of course. With that being said, thank you again so much for popping on here, and we'll talk to you soon, man. Anytime. Awesome. All right, there you guys have it. Uh, long episode today, but we got into it, chopping it up. You know me, I'm a, I'm a rambler here over here. And uh, when I get good conversation, I like to keep it going. Um, so, you know, more content for you. All right. Uh, but that's going to do it for us. We're going to wrap it up here over at Pirate Parlay, brought to you by the Sick Podcast Network. We'll be back next week, short week, condensed week. So we'll have podcasts probably on Tuesday and Wednesday um we'll be recording monday and tuesday so we'll drop them tuesday wednesday before the game i'm still working to see if we can get another surprise guest on here with it being a short week we might have to wait till the next week you never know though who knows i might be able to work my magic here um but anyways you know it's gonna be a banger of a podcast because we just put out bangers after bangers after bangers here at the pirate parlay podcast brought to you by the sick podcast network we'll talk to you next week right here Peace. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the sick podcast Pirate Parlay on YouTube, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts.